Go ahead and turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 2. I only have a couple of uh, passages up on the board that you'll follow along with, um, but I encourage you to follow along nonetheless and um, underline, highlight, take notes on the things that I, want, that I want to share with you today. I think that they're really important. I think the message today has a lot of uh, practical value for you. So I want to begin uh, today by reading a few passages in this Christmas story that we find in Luke chapter 2. We're going to pay close attention to the fact that after Jesus came, uh, life for everybody returned to normal, even Jesus, whatever normal for Jesus would be, uh, returned to normal in many ways. Uh, This is a return that we all experience, and especially a return that happens after our Christmas festivities, our Christmas celebration, Uh, and it presents us with quite a challenge, returning back to life as usual. Uh, Returning back to life as usual, I believe, was a challenge even for those people that are in the scripture, the characters that we'll read about. After all the Christmas lights are are uh, taken down after the trees are put away, which, as I see it, will probably be somewhere around June. Uh, After the uh, trees are put away and the wrapping paper is gone, um, the tape still remains forever. I don't know what the deal is there. But once that stuff's gone, we do struggle to meet each and every new day I'll ask you guys this if it's true of you, but it seems we, tr- we struggle to meet each and every new day with the same enthusiasm and the same joy uh, that led up to Christmas. Is that true of you? That's pretty true of me, right? And I'm not suggesting that we should all have this kind of giddy, childlike uh, excitement every day of our lives. I don't think that that's sustainable, but I do believe that joy should continue throughout um, throughout all of our time. We, we fail most of the time to walk in freedom and hope that comes with knowing that Jesus is still on his throne or that Jesus is still God with us. And I want to recapture that. The reason, as I see it, though, is because we struggle to fully believe in the truth of Advent. We've got ourselves, again, as I shared last week, we've gotten ourselves caught up in the romance of Christmas, or in the magic of Christmas, or in the spirit of Christmas. But there's, there's more to this, right? There's a truth to this, and if we can understand that truth, I believe that it will motivate us into everyday life uh, as a life of joy. Uh, it's either that, or we're allowing our circumstances, and hear me very clearly, it's either that, that we don't understand Advent, or we're allowing our circumstances to speak louder than the promises of God. And this happens a lot, right? Uh, there's chaos in our world, there's, there's challenges, there's problems that we face, and what we do is we see the serpents biting at our heels, and we fail to look to King Jesus. We fail to remember the promises of God. So I pray that the message today will help you in that, at least begin a journey back to a better place where we have joy throughout the entire time. I've titled the sermon today, Advent, the Valley Between, because there is a valley between Advents. There's the coming of Christ and the coming again of Christ, and right now we're stuck right in that valley, right? But it can be a joyful valley. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It can be a joyful valley. It can also be ho-hum, so if you just want to be a bump on a log, 
You can do that too, Jacob told us all. But, <laughs> but I, think, I think it can be, sorry, Jake. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's going to throw something at me. You should have saw his face, though. When I did it, he gave, me, he gave me this face. He's like, I'll get you later. Anyway, <laughs> that was the face he made. That was amazing. I love it. Okay, Luke 2, verse 20. These are the words of God. The shepherds, and I've, I've highlighted this for a reason, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So they had to return back to their flocks and their fields, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, Simeon said this, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. He was released, he departed in peace, or he was able to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Luke chapter 2, verse 36 and 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, that was when Simeon was speaking the blessing over uh, Christ, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him, of Jesus, to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she went from waiting in the temple to proclaiming, the one who had come. Isn't that an amazing idea? Finally, Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 40. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, this is the Holy Family, this is Mary and Joseph, they returned to Galilee, back to home, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, one of the concepts that we have dealt with or addressed within this Advent series was that God's kingdom is always increasing. We know that, right? It's always increasing. The prophet Isaiah's words are still true to this day uh, as they were when he penned them. There will be no end to the increase of his government and peace, Isaiah 9, 7. No end to it. No end to the kingdom and no end to its increase. But there is a difficulty for us in believing all of this. There's a difficulty in us believing all of this. And it lies in the fact that we don't always see with our eyes God's increase. Can I get an amen on that one? We're not always seeing. Faith isn't seeing. Faith is believing, and we'll get to more of that in just a second. So we don't always see God's increase, at least not in a way that we can fully appreciate. What we want is God to say, I promise a kingdom, and boom, a kingdom, right? We want, we want to hear God say, I promise you that you'll be healed, and boom, I'm healed. That's what we want. That's just rare that that happens in this life. So it's not always in a way that we can appreciate. We're not omniscient. You're not omniscient at all. (laughs) No matter how much you think you can see or think you, you understand, we're not omniscient. And so we don't always see how God is moving forward when everything in our world seems to be moving backwards. And that's exactly what we feel like. We come out of Christmas and we go, okay, back to normal. Or we look at our politics, we look at our world, and we think, geez, is God actually doing something today? 
We love to quote passages like Romans 8.28. Oftentimes I think what we're doing is talking ourselves into belief. You know that that doesn't work, okay? You can encourage yourself. You can, you can read God's word. You can be encouraged by others, but you're not going to talk yourself or will yourself into some sort of place in your life. Uh, here's what Romans 8.28 says. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. But we'd be lying if we claimed that we understood how God accomplishes this good, and we'd also be lying if we, if we claimed that we were always believing that God was working things for our good. Are you guys with me this morning? Because this is very true. This is very true. We, we struggle with this. Sometimes we go, God, where are you at? What are you doing in my life? Why don't you seem to care about this? All these things are falling apart. You don't seem to be paying any attention. But what we do, again, is we talk ourselves into it. We put on a good face, and we act like nothing is wrong. But again, I think we're, I think we're fibbing to ourselves. That's a gentler way of saying we're lying. We've also learned in the past that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Uh, this includes the tough circumstances of life. This becomes arduous, right? This, this is complicated for us because we're like, nope. <laughs> no, I don't want God working the bad stuff in my life. Imagine this for a second. Imagine that you were like Joseph in the old story in Genesis. Imagine you were sold into slavery by your own family because of their envy. Okay, So just imagine you're put in this place. I don't believe for one second that you or I would, uh, at the beginning of our journey, say something as bold as this. This is what Joseph says in Genesis 50. He says, what you meant as evil against me, he says this to his brothers who sold him into slavery, what you meant as evil against me, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. Did you catch that line? It didn't say God allowed it for good. Uh Uh-oh. It said God meant it. For good. Now, just because something is divinely ordained or providence in God's mind doesn't mean that everything in life is providential, right? It doesn't mean that God meticulously determines all things in life, but He does determine things. And in this particular situation, God ordered a thing to be brought about. But Joseph, Joseph says this at the end of the journey. There's no way in the world he would have believed this in the beginning, right? And I don't think we would have either. We most likely uh, echo Paul's sentiments or Paul's words. I'm thinking of those that he penned concerning the thorn in his flesh. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 8. He said, uh, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So when good things are happening in life or bad things are happening in life and we can't quite see what God is doing, especially when bad things are happening, we can't see what God is doing, our prayer sounds a lot more like, take it away, Lord, take it all away, change everything, please right? Not, well, what is evil here was meant for good. What is bad, what is challenging, what is tough here was actually meant for good, for my good. This sounds far more like our prayers when we just want God to make life easy for us. And it's all because we can't fully see what God is doing. Uh, We need to learn how to trust a bit more. Church, we we don't do very well in the valley between Advents. We don't do well on the day after Christmas. Uh, it, it just doesn't have the fanfare. It doesn't have the excitement. We don't do well when we can't see what we want to see. God, make it perfect now. But this is precisely why and where faith becomes so vital. And not the wishful thinking of our world. 
I'm talking about genuine faith. I'm referring to a faith that is based on substance and evidence. And you guys know that that is what faith is, Hebrews 11.1. 1. The people of old needed faith to trust that King Jesus was coming, and this was based on evidence, the promise of God. How many of you know if God speaks a thing, it is going to happen? The Word of God says that the Word of God will not return void. That's pretty impressive. Okay, so the word is not going to return void. God makes a promise, it's going to be the case. That does not mean that we don't need to work hard at interpreting those promises. We've gotten those really off. Uh, Hebrews talks about the fact that some went to their grave having not yet received the promises, and yet they were people of faith, walking after those promises. We've got to understand that God does say a thing, and he will fulfill a thing, Uh, But we need to understand his timing. We understand how it works. Uh, Both people in the Old Testament or people of old and uh, ourselves, we need faith that Jesus will return. Guess what? This too is not just uh, blind faith or wishful thinking. This is based on a promise. God has said he is coming back. But we're also going to need faith now today, right? Faith for the valley in between these two advents. The same kind of faith that Mary walked in, as we'll see in just a second, the same kind of faith that Simeon and Anna, the Apostle Paul, and many others walked in. Anybody who truly understands Advent is going to walk in this particular place and walk in it with with joy. In this valley, we have to deal with the reality that life doesn't always appear to have changed. Sure, we can mentally accept and ascend to the idea that Jesus is king, that his uh, kingdom is advancing, but the world seems to grow increasingly dark. Can I get an amen? right? The world seems to grow increasingly dark. People seem to increasingly feel distant in our lives, don't they? It happens all the time. People, uh, people feel distant. People feel like they're, they're constantly fighting. The scripture actually tells us that these times will come. Uh, it, it seems that all of life becomes more uh, or progressively more complicated as we get older. And then we're left wondering what in the world is going on. Lord, where are you at in this? What do we do inside of all of this? So what's, what are we supposed to do in this? We're supposed to have faith. We're supposed to have faith. When all the Christmas presents are gone, when the trees put away, when the lights are put up, today can be just as joyful as Christmas. It actually should be just as joyful as Christmas. Tomorrow, just as joyful as Christmas. Every day, if we will understand that God is working and moving, if we understand Advent truly. So I want to give you a brief history lesson. This is going to be fun for some of the geeks in the room. Uh, I always call myself a geek because it's true, anyway. Um, But I need a show of, shut up, Jerry. Anyway, (laughs) I don't want an amen on that one, okay? But I do need a show of hands of how many of you consider yourself a geek along with me. Show of hands, raise them real tall, proud, proud geeks, come on, proud, okay, I'm talking to you, this would be great. Okay, so Luke begins his story in uh, Luke chapter 2, mentioning a man named Caesar Augustus, right? Somewhere in Rome, Augustus was at the pinnacle of his power. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. These are just the connections that we need to, to draw here. So Augustus was the, was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, a name that all of us should know. Uh, he came to rule over him after a pretty vicious civil war, uh, leaving in his wake every rival challenger to the new 
uh, throne that would be uh, in Rome. The last person to stand in his way was a man by the name of Mark Antony. How many of you know that name? Mark Antony, right? After Antony's suicide, you remember Mark Antony, Cleopatra, Antony's suicide, Augustus turned the Roman Republic into an empire, and he establishes himself as the head of that empire. Now, he declared his father, Julius Caesar, to be divine. Now, this is where it really starts to connect the dots with the claims that Jesus was making. And when we understand the claims that Jesus was making and how much it disrupted the world, uh, it, it becomes clear, right? So he declares his father, Julius Caesar, to be divine, and he styles himself as the son of God. This is what Augustus does, right? He styles himself as the son of God. This is well documented in history of the time, okay? Augustus proclaims that he had brought peace and justice because he's on the throne, because of his kingship. He has brought peace and justice to the entire world, It's a pretty big statement, right? His people would announce him, in history, you can look this up, people would announce him as the savior of the world. This is Augustus, right? Okay, so he's the savior of the world, and there's one title that he has that you'll all be familiar with, king of kings. Isn't that fascinating? So as much as as this is... uh, foolishness to us. It was very true of their day, right? And so as such, he was worshipped, literally worshipped, by many in his empire because he was supposedly a god again. But Luke, Luke isn't telling us the story of Caesar Augustus, is he? He just kind of drops this name, talks about a census and taxes, we all get offended, and move on to the King Jesus part, right? So he's actually telling us about another king, our king, the one who actually is Lord of Lords, right? A Jewish boy who's born of a virgin, arriving in a lowly manger in some obscure town that was written in Scripture to link him to his Davidic lineage. He's the true deliverer of peace and justice. He is the savior of the world. He is the king of kings. He is the head, not only of the Roman Empire, but of every empire, past, present, and future. Remember, this is the one whose kingdom and government never uh, decreases, right? You see, all the effort that Augustus had put into ascending his newly established throne wouldn't matter, check this out, just a single generation later. Why? Because all of Jesus' followers and the church begin to declare him as what? Son of God. All of a sudden, this little Jewish boy who's not trying, <laughs> right? That's, that's how this battle works. When you go up against God, he's not even trying, okay? And so Jesus enters the scene, and he becomes son of God just a generation later. Even Jesus' journey, though, from birth to the throne wasn't a straight shot. It was filled with doubts and questions from those who followed. What was going on? Uh, Was he even winning at this time? We look at life through this lens all the time, the lens that receives a promise, they receive Jesus, but it has to live out its fulfillment, and Jesus had to do that, all the way up to 33 years old, and then he dies on a cross, and we're all going, holy cow, what is happening here? None of this is making any sense, but God is advancing. Again, one generation later, Augustus is dethroned in this reality, that Jesus is now son of God. 
The most important thing to remember about this brief history lesson, though, is that within 300 years, the emperor of Rome, the one who would take over Augustus's position, Augustus' position at some point, begins to no longer see himself as divine, and now he professes Jesus as Lord, Constantine. Okay? I don't know if Constantine was a Christian. I doubt it very seriously. Okay, uh, It seems like a political move, but the point still remains that now you have the very leader of the Roman world making everybody profess Jesus as Lord. Uh, it seems like his kingdom's increasing. <laughs> it's very interesting. He commands those in Rome to do it, and yet 300 years later, leading up to this profession, we're full, uh, all those years are full of death, dismay, persecution, times of despair, and all for the people of God. How many of you think that in that 300-year period, people were like, hey, Lord, what's going on? How many of you guys think that people were raising their hand and saying, Lord, Paul said, Paul said that all this government rests on your shoulders and it looks like it's falling apart, dude. I think that's exactly what they were saying in this time. And yet, God is still moving. His kingdom is advancing. It again is advancing to the point where that leader is professing Jesus in Rome. Do you see now how God's kingdom was progressing? Do you see it? You can look at it very plainly in hindsight. God was working all things together for the good of those who loved him and were called according to his purpose. Nobody... Nobody thought, well, they thought it. Nobody worried too much about this idea that maybe they needed a new government in place. Maybe God was off his rocker. Maybe he wasn't anywhere on the throne anymore. Instead, they just stayed focused on King Jesus. They proclaimed his truth to the world, and it changed everything. Absolutely everything. I assure you, this is still happening to this day. This is still happening to this day, even in the midst of politics, pandemics, and persecution. So as I said at the outset, now that all the Christmas lights are down, all the trees are put away or something, uh, right? The wrapping paper is gone. Do we meet each day with joy? I don't think we do because we failed to realize the story, but we can. And we need to get back to it. And here's how we do it. We keep reading the story. We keep trusting God, and we allow that to build in us faith, and that faith walks. That faith has a hope that the world takes note of. That faith looks at, at, uh, looks at God's promises and looks at our world and says, I won't be shaken. There's nothing that can put me down. God is still winning. Even if we were to face a sword, church, even if we were to face imprisonment, persecution, all of that, Jesus is still winning. Jesus is always winning. We need to get back to enjoying the fact that God with us literally means what it says. God is with us. Come on, church. God is with us. Do we fall for the trap of believing that Advent was just a one-off event? That, it was, that Anna was just waiting for Christmas trees and presents? No. Heavens no. Instead, it changes everything because Anna was waiting for the one who would save the world. Remember in Luke 2, the shepherds had to go back to their fields, right? Can you imagine that? Serious, can you imagine this? You came all this way. God spoke to you first. Like this <laughs> top notch. I think we would be putting ourselves, giving ourselves a title. God talked to me first. 
therefore you should listen to everything I say, right? Nope. They go, they see this baby, they are overwhelmed with the truth and the joy of what it was, and then they had to go back to sheep poop, right? This is horrible. And yet they knew what they knew. They had hope and they had truth and they knew that the world was changing at this point. Simeon and Anna both have to do the same exact thing. Simeon's like, I'm done. I don't even have a job now. This is good. (laughs) I've been waiting for this guy. He showed up clocking out, right? But he didn't clock out without hope. He didn't clock out without joy. He went home that day, I guarantee you, with the greatest, the biggest smile you could have on your face. Because he believed the world was changing. Anna had waited all those years, and guess what? She was not disappointed. Not even for a second, church. She went out, her story is that she went out like the woman at the well and said, let me tell you. That's amazing to me. That's the power of true advent, of true transformation. Mary and Joseph have to do the same thing. They have to carry the consolation of Israel. That's a funny title, but they have to carry the consolation of Israel away from the temple. Temple. They have to change his diapers, right? Mary and Joseph have to uh, get their baby boy sacrificed or uh, circumcised, not sacrificed. That's a problem. Well, they did ultimately have to get him sacrificed. It's a different story, right? They get him circumcised. And then they have to experience years of him becoming strong or growing and increasing in wisdom. Why can't Jesus just win? Why can't he just walk onto the scene and go, you're all dead? (laughs) Right? Lord, why, why can't he do that? Why can't he do that? They know that this has happened. There have been many child kings in Israel. And yet what happens? There's a valley between what Jesus came to do And what Jesus will ultimately do. And walking through that valley can be done with joy, even though we face dark times in it, right? So so you have Jesus, he's he's becoming strong, he's increasing in wisdom. At one point, they even have to flee to Egypt for his protection. What's that all about? He should be able to win. He should just tell that guy to booger off. But no, this is how life works, isn't it? You see, Christmas ends, and the next day comes, and we go, I guess 365 days till Christmas. The only reason that we need 365 days till another Christmas, the only reason why we need that to be our hope is because we've missed the point of the day we just celebrated. We've missed the point of today. Today is a joy. Today is a blessing. Today is peace. Today is happiness. Today is life and life abundantly. Today isn't waiting for the Christmas present you didn't get. Today is recognizing the Christmas present we all needed. So what's my point? Well, the moments we wait for uh, also come with valleys. Uh, The moments that we experience in life also come with valleys for us. This next day of Christmas, this next part of our life is, is all about displaying hope. And the Bible says that the world is going to, to ask us of the hope that we have. But I'm telling you, they're only going to ask you of the hope that you have if you actually have some daggone hope. <laughs> right? They're not asking you of the 
hope you have now because they see that scowl on your face. Well, they can't with COVID masks, but they, <laughs> they see something, right? They see the grumpiness. They see the bitterness. They see the lack of love. They see the lack of care for those around you. So what do we do? Well, we have to start by getting back to the true meaning of Advent. That's what this series has been all about. We just read about Simeon and Anna. We just read that uh, their joy continued on. We read about Mary, and we read about Joseph. I want to just give you a brief uh, story of the Apostle Paul, a very brief story of the Apostle Paul, and I want to give you just some quick commentary on it because this... um, This story happens much later, right? This is much later after Matthew 28. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, everything's been given to me. And guess where Paul ends up in most times in his life? In jail. (laughs) In jail for the king that's supposed to be leading the world, okay? Uh, It's because this valley is very strange, Right? This valley is very strange. So all of this, again, takes place after Matthew 18. It comes from Acts chapter 16. I'm just going to read it to you. I want you to listen. The crowds rose up together against them. This is Paul and Silas and probably other believers. But the, the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes. That's Paul and Silas's robes. They tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. I think we should appeal to Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus is okay with this happening. When they had struck them with many blows, not just one, not just to stop doing that, many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. So high alert, right? And he, having received such a command, threw him into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, how many of you are like, Jesus' kingdom is increasing? Amen. How many of you are like, cool, that means I'll go to jail someday? No, none of us raise our hands for that. And yet that's exactly what happened. And here's the point. The day after Christmas doesn't always look like you want it to look. But it doesn't mean Jesus isn't on the throne. It doesn't mean he's not winning. You may be struggling and praying and seeking God for healing or for something else. You might do that all the days of your life. And like the people of Hebrews, you might go to your death not having received the promise. But God hasn't changed. He's not left his throne. You see, this is a fuller-orbed understanding of what the Bible actually tells us. Right? This is what it means to walk by faith. What we think walking by faith means is when I ask, God gives it so I don't have any discomfort. (laughs) Sorry, you're funny, right? That is not how life works. So Acts goes on. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They must have been, they must have had a good set, right? They had a great set. That's what the deal is, right? Okay, so, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now that sounds about like what we want, okay? King Jesus is on the throne. His kingdom is advancing. We got thrown in jail. God causes an earthquake. We get a jailbreak, right? It's not how the story plays out. First of all, let's just think about this. While you're in jail, show of hands, how many of you are like, you know what we should do? We should sing. (laughs) Right? I'm thinking 
Jesus needs smiles, so let's go for it. Let's sing to Jesus. No way. You know what we're doing? We're going to the library of the prison, and we're finding all the legal documents to find a way to make a better appeal, right? I'm out of here. This is dumb. I want out. No, they're singing to Jesus, right? They're singing so much to Jesus, and the hope that they have is so clear, everybody around them is going, it's a pretty good song, right? It's a pretty good set there. I like that. I'm listening. That's pretty good. Then the earthquake comes, and we all think this is great, and God goes, hold on, read the whole story. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were open, you'd think he would have felt the earthquake. Anyway, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because if he loses these prisoners, he's as good as dead anyway, right? Supposing that these prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Sorry about your luck, Chuck. Mm -mm. Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. God's still on the throne in Paul's mind. Right? He doesn't run? You're dumb, Paul. Right? You got to run. That's the point. God set you free. Freedom. Yay. This is what it's all about. No. He stays in there. Why? Because he actually cares about the jailer's life more than he cares about his own imprisonment. This is a man who understands Advent, church. This is a man who has hope that goes beyond Christmas Day. Amen? So he sees it, and he goes, okay, well, we're going to stick around for a little while. So he calls for the lights and rushed in, the jailer, that is, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, who had just showed him the greatest hope ever. And after he brought them out, he said, Sir... Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Heaven forbid God sends you to jail so that a jailer might be saved. We go, no, God wants me to be happy. That's the true story of the Bible. You still aren't listening. God is not always concerned about our happiness. He's not concerned about our comfort. He's not concerned about a great many things, actually. He's concerned about a big picture thing. Just as in the story of Joseph and the brothers, what the brothers had intended for evil, God intended for good. For what purpose? To preserve many alive. That's what the scripture said. He just did the same thing. I'm going to throw you in jail to preserve the jailer alive for eternity. (sighs) These are people who understand Advent. Now, When day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen. This is the NASB, and it cracks me up that it put in their policemen. I keep seeing Phil running to the jail. Anyway, so so they sent their Phil and said, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Now, I want you to see something here. God is the one who gives them freedom, right? 
Change of mind, change of heart, I don't know how it works, but God is the one who gives them freedom. But the story gets really interesting here. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us in public without trial when, when we are men who are Romans. They've thrown us into prison, and now are they sending us away secretly? No, no, no. I love Paul. No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. Phil reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they had heard that, uh, that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Isn't it funny how the tables have turned here? The people throwing them in jail are now begging them. Please, 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 right? Because God is not opposed to justice in this life. God has no problem with you appealing to a higher court or a higher rule or a higher authority if you've been mistreated, but he does want you to trust him in all things. And so Paul does this, and all of a sudden everybody's scared. They went out from the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and there they saw the brethren, and they encouraged them and departed. See, all this story is confusing when we think that the story of Advent, the story of Christmas, the story of Christianity is that God just wants you to be happy. When we understand that God wants to save the world, all of a sudden, my comfort's probably not that big of a deal. Can I get an amen? That means that the day after Christmas doesn't always have to come with presents and Christmas trees. It might come with really ugly stuff like the bill <laughs> for Christmas, right? But the point remains, you guys, I'm just having fun right now. I'm sorry. So the point remains, God's kingdom is still advancing. I would much rather live in the world that I live in today than in Nero's Rome, where I have to wait 300 years to see God's kingdom advance and turn the whole system around. But I want you to know that no matter what is happening today, God is still on the throne. He's still advancing. He's not changed his job description, guys. He's not changed at all. The reason we worry is because we fail to understand Advent. We fail to understand it. We just think it's about Christmas trees and presents, and we're just wrong. We're just wrong. So here's an encouraging word from Paul as we wrap all of this up. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that is, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of life, the treasure of this Advent story that we get to live in. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power including the Spirit of God that dwells in us, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way. Can you say that with me, church? We are afflicted in every way. Smile. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Say that with me. But not crushed. Perplexed. Say that with me. Perplexed, but not despairing. Say that. Not despairing. This is so important, guys. We are persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, huh, but life in you. 
Death works in us, church, but life is working all the more. Life is working all the more because God is with us, because of what Advent is already about, all actually about, sorry. Guys, we need to enter every day knowing this truth. Life's going to get hard. There's going to be a lot of valleys. But even though we walk through that valley, what is the truth according to Scripture? God is always with us. His rod, his staff, they comfort us. He's always there. So, tomorrow is going to come. Did you know that? I mean, apart from Jesus returning, tomorrow is going to show up, and you can face tomorrow with joy, can't you? Yes? Can I get a smile? Maybe. Behind COVID masks, <laughs> right? We get a smile. I can see you smile with your eyes, Kathy. It's good, right? So, this is really important. Tomorrow is coming, but joy is still here. The kingdom is advancing. It may take hundreds of years before we see it. I say this a lot, and I've said it a lot as of late, that the difference between a revolutionary and a reformer is that a revolutionary will just burn the thing down so that they can get change. A reformer will wait. A reformer will be patient. I just, I, I kind of want to be a revolutionary most of the time. Anyway, so, but a reformer will wait. A reformer will know that it might take hundreds of years to see transformation and change. But God is good, and he's still winning. Amen.